0: With magic. Life with magic. Welcome back to the Life with Magic podcast. My name is Magic and I'm your host. My aim here is to inspire self-liberation by empowering you, the lovely soul listening to this right now, to embrace your individuality and live a life of authenticity. I do this by facilitating conversations featuring guests from all walks of life. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Sonali Rashotoir they he pronouns popularly known as the fat sex therapist on Instagram Sonali is an award-winning clinical social worker sex therapist adjunct lecturer and grassroots organizer he is a super fat queer bisexual non-binary therapist and co-owner of radical therapy center specializing in treating sexual trauma body image issues racial or immigrant identity issues and South Asian family systems While offering fat and body positive sexual health care. And to top off this extensive resume, Sonali is a certified donut lover. I reached out to Sonali after seeing one of his posts that said, yeah, I'm DTF. D standing for dismantling my internalized fat phobia. T trusting in the deep, messy process of self-love and growth. And the F standing for forming my own internal systems of validation, approval, and permission giving. I wanted to explore how we can all be DTF. And Sonali graciously accepted my invite to the Life with Magic podcast. I am super excited to share his knowledge and his wisdom in all things DTF. Thank you so much, Sonali. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here.
1: Oh my gosh. What an incredible intro. First of all, you. thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. I think of myself as a donut connoisseur if you may uh anytime i'm traveling to a new city pre-covid because i'm often requested to give workshops on how to undo fat phobia um in our brains and our practice and the way that we treat our bodies what we eat and so i i've traveled like all over a lot of parts of north america that i've never gotten to see before which has been amazing um, I never thought I would be this kind of adult who would have the kind of job that I do. I feel really lucky. And anytime I'm traveling to a new city, I will always look for what kind of donut shops they have in their city. And I love to find the best ones. And I take photos of the donuts that I eat in every city. I have like a, a personal best donut list. Like, um, I think maybe most folks have like, an object that they collect whenever they travel. Like my mom, uh, she really likes, I think they're really tacky, but she really likes uh, decorative plates from different places. And I really like, I like mugs. Some people like magnets. I really love to collect food memories. And the food memories that I really cherish, I have a sweet tooth. So I really like donuts. I can bet. They're a perfect on-the-go treat. Um, nice and bready, nice and and sugary, sweet. Um, and also I'm a, I'm a classic donut purist. Oh, I hate the word purity and to even use it in this description. But my favorite flavor of donut is like a simple, plain glazed donut. That's a yeast based donut. Uh, I don't really feel like we need to put a whole lot of toppings on a donut to for it to be good. So that's why I consider myself a donut expert. Um, I think that there are a lot of us out there. We're we're a growing fan base.
0: My mouth is watering right now. <laughs> I gotta get
1: some hot and fresh.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. And You know, one thing that I do like about donuts, and this is gonna tie back to a quote that I saw on your website, which was like, all got all Goddies, all, <laughs> there's so much food in my head right now. It's all bodies are good bodies. And... Mm-hmm it's it's like comparing that to donuts which is like a silly comparison where it's like all donuts are good donuts you know like (laughs) i have yet to find a donut that i don't like okay i'm
1: i really hate to be that guy but i'm gonna Uh be that guy who does not think that all donuts are good donuts
0: (laughs) really you had a bad donut
1: i have absolutely had a bad donut i know i I know exactly Where? where i was and it was at a little shop in San Francisco and mm-hmm. they were bad, greasy, not just like stale, like an old donut, greasy, not uh-huh. well made. The fry Damn. oil must've been too cold cause it was like uh, too saturated in oil. The glaze wasn't good. Wow. It wasn't sweet enough. Yeah. Terrible donut.
0: So I, I, t- I take back that metaphor that Is Magic Dyke does not stand by the statement that all donuts are good donuts. <laughs> but you this is are a learning correct that all bodies.
1: <laughs> You're still right, though, that all bodies Absolutely. are good bodies. Like th- that's a statement that comes from disability justice. It comes from disabled activists who are trying to to flatten the hierarchies within ableism. Ableism basically teaches us what kinds of bodies are desirable and disposable and which bodies can be discarded. So ableism is kind of this, actually this huge concept that cuts across many isms and many uh, social issues. So ableism is a word that could be used to describe why someone who believes in prisons um, would believe that someone would ever deserve to experience the kind of hell that comes with being incarcerated. Um, ableism is, is a word that kind of, uh, teaches us that some people deserve to experience punishment. That's like very inhumane. Ableism is a word that tells us that some people don't deserve access to adequate medical care because they're fat and because they might've done things to, to make their body fat or ableism tells us that when someone, when, when I interact with someone who's a cigarette smoker, that I should shame them because they are making decisions based on, um, on, on not taking care of their health, based on our assumption on what taking care of one's health looks like. So, ableism is actually this word that cuts across so many issue layers. And I feel like it's really important to name that because, especially right now, you know, I identify on social media, on Instagram, as the fat sex therapist. And a lot of folks will place my body of work within this larger conversation happening around body positivity. And like it is, my con- my conversation does belong there, but it also doesn't because the larger conversation that is happening right now around body positivity is largely this like white, thin, small, fat, able-bodied, mostly conventionally attractive space uh, and conversation that, that really will use these amazing slogans that... Black, fat, disabled, queer, trans revolutionaries have come up with and will strip all of the identity around these labels, like all bodies are good bodies and will attribute it to a thin white woman who doesn't know where that phrase came from, who doesn't um, intersect her issues across all problem areas and will center herself in this conversation on body positivity without actually centering the most
0: marginalized. Mm. I remember one post in particular that I saw, which was like a fairly, what I consider to be a thin person who was just like sitting down and then like they had rolls and they were like pinching their stomach and it was like very forced. And then they like stand up and it's like, I just want everyone to know that like, this is, you know, my angles are not necessarily, it's like a conversation about taking pictures and angles and like, I'm, I'm just like, it, it's just a bit, unsettling honestly it's very unsettling to, to to see that this is what is being marketed as like body positive like oh look at me sitting down and then look at me standing up do you see the big difference now let's center this and like celebrate me for talking about this in the same scope of people who are genuinely discussing you know like really hardcore life situation that they face because of like fat phobia in like the workplace in the medical field yeah. and all these different areas It's like there are so many serious issues and like the people who do have the platforms who do have the most popular platforms which is like historically like the thin white Mm -hmm. heteronormative people it's like what is it that we can do as people who are you know who are on the outside looking in and are just like that's not that's not really it that's not the movement you are hijacking something that already exists and something that Mm -hmm. was created for a specific reason and now you're using it as a marketing, you know, push your ulterior motives forward. Like, what is it that we can do as the consumers of like, you know, these social media influencers and other people who, you know, profit off of just our attention?
1: Well, I do want to name that. I want to use a stronger word for when I see people who are not the most marginalized within a conversation on body image discrimination or even weight, weight bias. Uh, which are other terms that someone could use as euphemisms for fat phobia if they have a hard time saying the word fat is like patronizing like it's really patronizing to me when someone centers themselves and they're not actually at the center of of a conversation on body size discrimination um, anytime we see someone who is hijacking the movement or the movement on making the world safer for fat people What we need to be doing is having a conversation about what mainstream body positivity is often missing. So this is a great litmus test that anyone could use if they're wanting to find out if their body positive influencer that they're following is actually someone who's invested in fat liberation. And the easy trick that I use for this is is to remember, so I use a systems analysis. I am a social worker. I gained this analysis from uh, from like women's studies and gender studies courses in undergrad, I happen to take like one two of these courses, change the entire trajectory of my life. I'm like forever indebted to the brilliant women's studies professors who who have come before me. but what we need to remember with any type of ism is that there is like a usually like a four tier scaffolding. Um, so if you imagine like a ladder that has four rungs, If we're imagining, if we're talking about uh, another type of ism that maybe for some folks they might have a better grasp of, um, I'm not comparing or calling it a parallel at all. But if we're thinking about something like racism, uh, this has like a four-rung ladder tier system, kind of. And it would look like from lowest to highest, it would go internalized. So like internalized racism or internalized fat phobia. Interpersonal. Then we get up to institutional and structural. So it's like four tiers. And those four together kind of create this conversation about structural, a structural ism. So you could you could put in there, like fill in the blank, you could say structural ableism, you could say structural fatphobia. And so in using this tiered uh, system, oftentimes mainstream body positive influencers will, will get stuck only thinking about the bottom two. So internalized fat phobia and maybe interpersonal fat phobia, you know, someone body shamed me, someone food shamed me, and they will actually completely not have analysis or include conversation about institutional or structural fat phobia. And this might be because they're harder to understand and because they require analysis about the state, about the diet industry which is a 72 billion dollar global industry um they won't have information about how we have actually had the kind of science that has told us for three or four decades now that we don't actually have the means to achieve intentional weight loss that that involves successful long-term permanent weight loss and that 95 to 97% of intentional weight loss diets do result in people gaining the weight back Um, and having all kinds of other issues uh, during that time as well. Something like metabolic disorders, Um, the amount of stress that our body experiences when we're putting it into induced famine, like that stuff really does affect the body. Um, It's not like our body is having a great time experiencing famine. When we're trying to engage in a diet or weight loss. So anytime um, you're wanting to check to see if an influencer is actually engaging in fat liberation, um, they're going to be talking about things like uh, institutional fat phobia would be, for example, this case that came out of the UK a couple of weeks ago about uh, two fat teenagers who were put into foster care because um the state agency deemed that the parents were not doing enough to help their children lose weight. And these children were taken out of the home and removed from the parents' custody. But um, in the article that I read, the children were described as like really bright, polite, engaging, and that it was really quite surprising that they were removed from custody because they didn't seem like they were experiencing bad parenting or abusive parenting, or parenting that imminently endangered their health. Um, They were just fat. And the state determined that uh, we are gonna equate weight with health. And if these children can't maintain their weight, or if parents can't even change their weight, um, then we're gonna terminate parental rights. We're gonna remove children from custody. And this isn't even a rare case. I've heard of cases in the UK where the state has terminated parental rights um, or the state has determined that parents were too fat to parent. Um, So anytime a body positive influencer is not really thinking about the ways that um, it's legal in 40 plus states in the U.S. to fire someone for being too fat or um, not really thinking about the ways that um, there aren't protections for fat parenting or disabled parenting. Um, Those are not really influencers who have a good structural analysis about fat phobia.
0: Thank you for just opening up my mind. Personally, I, you know, I know I told you this before the interview, but I learned so much from you just by being in your presence. Like (laughs) Instagram alone has taught me things that I feel like my sex education and like all the different classes that I took in middle school, high school and like all through you know the different levels of education like i feel like these are things that we should have all been taught but it's but we really... aren't
1: right even that's for a reason
0: mm-hmm. the
1: u.s um right. education system intentionally doesn't want us to know about how it has stripped all of its intentional white supremacy from from the way that it, it talks about itself um the way that play- other places in the world talk about the U.S. is often more accurate than the way we learn about it in mm-hmm. history books.
0: Mhm. Mhm. So it's like, you know, as an immigrant who came to the U.S. when I came to the U.S. when I was ten years old. So like most of my, pretty much all of the education that I can remember and the information that I've retained has come from U.S. Uh, school education system. So it's like as far as learning about my blackness you know it's been from the lens of the winner of history like the person who has written these books was never you know intending to represent me or make me feel empowered so it's like when it comes to health education like the things that we learned about like as far as like eating well i remember like our our um health classes like talk like we had like one week where we learned about like eating disorders and that was it it was like, this is bad. This is, this is also bad. Do this, eat salads. And it's like, that was, that was it. Like that was their idea of a comprehensive education on what it means for young people to have a relationship with their bodies. And like, as adults, we are still continuing to be, to, to just participate in this system, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's like our media, our advertisements, it's all geared towards making us hate ourselves. And we perpetuate those same ideals in conversations conversations with our friends. And I know that I'm personally guilty of it. And like, I am absolutely okay with admit with admitting that. Cause it's like, in order for me to unlearn, I have to first take accountability for being like, yes, I have been in conversations where I was like pushing fat phobic rhetoric and I was That's right. pushing these, these ideals of like, you know, if I don't look this way, I'm not happy. You know, as a performer, I have this pressure to like your body's always under scrutiny you are in front of the camera at all times if you want to you know look your best you have to do this you know so it's like personally I think that in order for all of us to start like unlearning we have to like sit with the fact that we have done a lot of harm in conversations we have done a lot of things that don't align with our principles and like I want to be a better community member and I want other people who are listening to these conversations to take away something that's tangible and be like, okay, this is one way that I can advocate. This is one way that I can fight. This is one way that I can become, you know, a proactive member of the fat liberation movement. And this is, you know, this is something that I can do. And like, I'm so grateful. Like the fact that you even said yes to this interview has just really, 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 it's, it's lit up my world, honestly. Like, it, it made me so fucking happy. I got the message first thing in the morning, and I swear to God, I spent the whole day fucking smiling. I was on your Instagram page like, they really want to talk to me? Like, what? You want to talk to me? Like, I was so fucking excited. And the, you know, the intention of this interview, let me read the, the, the topic. The <laughs> official topic is um, how to be DTF. And for those who don't know what DTF means, you know, DTF in this context is, D is for dismantling my internalized fat phobia. T is for trusting in the deep, messy process of self-love and growth. And the F is for forming my own internal systems of validation, approval, and permission giving. So Sonali is an expert on DTF. So like, (laughs) I just wanna know. Are, are you DTF? I'm absolutely DTF. <laughs> <laughs> and what is what has your journey of being a DTF looked like so far? Oof. It has
1: looked like admitting to myself when I'm having ebbs and flows in whether I, or not I want to date, based on how i'm struggling with internalized fat phobia that week or that like month quarantine has been really hard as someone who is like gloriously happily excitedly single and living alone also like gloriously happy living alone because the way i've been able to sustain that like this lifestyle of like joyful solitude is by having such a rich social life um, and sex life. You know, we're just gonna be honest. (laughs) And I've had a really hard time with the messy, the deep, messy internal work of how I hold myself back from experiencing love. I recently had my birthday in February, I'm a Valentine's baby, and I'm an Aquarius, and it was really difficult this year to let my family love me. My sister and my cousins, we have, like, a very deep, intimate connection. We've become very close over quarantine, and we'll have, like, regular FaceTime calls that last, like, four, five, six hours, like, long FaceTime calls. We talk about everything under the sun all of our feelings (laughs) every feeling and conversations that were once taboo we have broken down a lot of walls of rigidity and fear in order to access vulnerable parts of ourselves and i realized this year on my birthday that i actually have a really hard time letting giving people opportunities to love me and this birthday was a practice in me Allowing people that I love, who love me and take really good care of me, giving them opportunities to set up a, a surprise Zoom birthday party, where I wasn't really going to know the theme, and I decided that I wanted it to be a PowerPoint party, but I really didn't know what kind of PowerPoints were going to happen, and I didn't really know who was going to be on the Zoom call, and and my best friend. Um, I was at her place in Queens and I didn't really know what we were going to eat or like whether the night was going to go well. I had a lot of stress about whether everyone was going to have a good time. I didn't want anyone to feel obligated or bored to be there. And I had to like sit with the messy feelings of, babe, you hold yourself back from experiencing being held by people who want to hold you. And you're holding yourself back from making valuable connections with new people who want to offer you things. They want to take care of you. They want to send you a card on your birthday. They want to send you cupcakes because they want to show you gratitude. And you say, no, don't worry about it. I, you telling me that you want to send me cupcakes is good enough. Like, it's okay. They're offering you something that they want to send you. It would be okay to receive their love in a tangible way so that's um that's a really personal um way that has been co- showing up for me over the last few months what that deep
0: internal messy work is like noticing the places where i get in my own way well first i want to say happy belated birthday valentine's day baby just thank you <laughs> basically you are just cupid like you are the embodiment of love like happy belated birthday and Secondly, thank you for, you know, sharing that, like, intimate journey when it comes to realizing your worthiness and allowing yourself to truly lean into this space of like, okay, I surrender all control. Like, I give the people around me the power to just, you know, just have me in this state, which is just, I'm open to receiving. Like, I think for a lot of us, especially, um, I would say, like, kids of immigrant parents or just like people from cultures where it's like giving and taking is not off is not really the norm and it's like being on the receiving end it's difficult for people who've been taught to just give 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 and don't expect nothing from the world it's like just sitting with that is like powerful so yeah just kudos to you for that thank
1: you i derive such deep self-worth from giving so i'm an eldest child in my family there's only three siblings but I'm the oldest and though I am non-binary um I do like words like girl and daughter granddaughter sister so I'm still comfortable with those words um even though I feel more masculine of center and and identify as more soft butch it's like it's my own complex messy non-binary gendered confusion And I like it, I like it just where it is. And I'm mentioning all that because, um, actually now I've forgotten, but, um, oh yes. (laughs) So as an immigrant kid, as the eldest daughter in my family, I was taught and conditioned to be someone who gives a lot, who like takes care of my younger siblings, who's making sure that my attention is on many things outside of my body and that I'm taking care and offering care in in many ways. And also me becoming a healer, me becoming a therapist is also a way that I've commodified that skill. So now I have like, and my business partner Kala was the one who offered me that reframe, which really has like shifted the way that I think about um, care work in general. And if you're interested in learning about care work, there's a great book about it by Leah Lakshmi, Piyasana, and Sinha, uh, and lots of other folks are also contributing to this uh, definition of care work. But um, me having commodified this skill helps me to have better boundaries around it because now like, I'm doing it for work. So it's really noticeable when I'm not getting paid for it or when I'm overgiving or when it feels like my boundaries are being pushed outside of work. So that has been really helpful for me, um, to commodify this work, because I'm good at it, I love to do it, and it makes me feel so good. Uh, because it, again, like I derive so much self-worth from how I give and how I can make other people feel good by the way that I give. And so in this exercise of like noticing how I under-receive, um, wanting to work on that for myself because offering making sure that i'm offering people opportunities to love me and to hold me and take care of me make sure that i'm actually having reciprocal relationships because if i'm the only one giving it kind of sets me up to have more power in that relationship and to kind of say well um i'm not really receiving much so i kind of get to determine you know all the rules of our engagement um it it sets up a relationship where it's uneven, it's not actually reciprocal, it's not actually fair. And I want relationships where they feel more lateral and they feel more not based in hierarchy. Mm.
0: Under receiving is, is a, a word that really stuck out to me. For whatever reason, that's like sitting with me. It's like under receiving, I've never really thought about that. And I've never really. It's just. It, the, the checks and balances that we have internally to know, you know, which side we are, you know, are we, are you the giver, the super giver who just gives, gives, give, 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 you know, and then is that something that you want to continue doing? Or is that something that you're doing out of fear of losing people? Cause we have a lot of reasons for being like givers, you know, how do you set boundaries for yourself? So you're not giving all of yourself and then em- ending up with an empty cup and are you under, you know, are you an under receiver? Do you block receiving for the, because you, for whatever reason, you might not feel worthy of it. You might not be comfortable with it. And then like finding out why you're comfortable or uncomfortable with either of these things. It's, it's such a complex, complex thing to, to set up and be the enforcer of your own checks and balances. So like, how do you, Like, how do you, what type of system do you have built inside to where you can like reflect and question yourself when you are in either the giving or the receiving end? Mm.
1: I definitely, it's definitely an internal mechanism. And it's really only gauged whether or not it feels imbalanced by this light that shows up on my dashboard. So for me, on my emotional dashboard, Shame is like a big one or anger or uh, resentment. Those are really great indicators on my emotional dashboard that something's happening underneath the hood. And that lets me know, hey, does something feel out of balance because you're really mad at this person (laughs) and for seemingly not not really like a tangible reason. (laughs) And that is usually my cue to look under the hood and examine like, hey are you caught in an under receiving dynamic because you don't actually want to be vulnerable to this person and uh, you're not actually offering this person opportunities to take care of you and love you and that's why you're not um being open with them or even like sharing with them how you feel about the current dynamic of your relationship i think for me emotions are really great data Um, What a lot of us are taught by growing up and being conditioned in cis-heteropatriarchy is we associate emotions with femininity and weakness. And so we assume that having any emotion outside of like orgasmic joy is bad. (laughs) Uh, And, what we actually need to be doing is looking at emotions as data and really like actually they're very temporary blips of data because they don't actually last a very long time. Even our most activating emotions can last sometimes like 90 seconds if we were to actually set a timer in time.
0: So I can't tell if it's frozen.
1: Oh, it's your cat. Oh (laughs) my goodness. This is Rufus he is just leaving his first sunbath to cool off the shade and then he'll be joining the sunbath again very soon
0: <laughs> oh that is so lovely and that's gonna lead us actually to our next topic which is like self-care practices what are different methods of of you know pleasure practice or self-care practices that you you enact in like your day-to-day life
1: So I love to break down what a pleasure practice actually is for someone who's never heard of it. And for me, as someone who is um, a trauma worker, I am a shame worker, I am a somatic body worker in many ways. And how I contextualize it is I think of a pleasure practice as the 10 seconds where you drop into your body, after eating the first bite of a delicious cupcake and you're like, wow, this is so good. Just those like couple of seconds where you can appreciate what you're feeling in your body and you're in touch with your body and you're experiencing the pleasure in the moment. And there isn't actually this like, I'm not actually annoyed by the the pile of laundry that I have to fold on my bed. I'm thinking about um, this bite and maybe even the next bite and appreciating this like beautiful exquisite cupcake and me appreciating it in the moment. Mm. So like a pleasure practice is those like few seconds that we drop into the body anytime we're having like, a spectacular moment. So I'm sitting right now in the in my sun drenched office. It's my like one room in my apartment with the best lighting, and I'm so glad that I made this room my office because um, sunshine makes me feel like a really happy plant. It makes me feel like I'm getting my photosynthesis for the day, and uh, it offers me many opportunities to drop into my body, just appreciate this moment for however short it's going to be. I experience this when I see really beautiful thick, fat clouds in the sky. Those are my favorite things to look at, to take photos of. Um, I love to dance in my apartment. Um, So I have a really loud speaker system and I'll play music way too loud and will (laughs) dance as hard as I can to the point of losing my breath and collapsing onto the couch and just uh, breathing it out. It's something that helps me actually to move rage out of my body, it helps to move anxiety out of my body. And it's a really important somatic practice that I use um, anytime I've got anxiety, and stress, that's overwhelming me. For me, my pleasure practice also involves uh, hugging myself and kissing myself and thanking myself after i have solo sex um it involves me grocery shopping for recipes that i actually really am excited to eat and not forcing myself to eat food that i think i should be eating or that uh, responsible people eat um for me pleasure practice looks like enjoying sitting and reading a book for however long i want to do that so Uh, Sometimes my attention span is really only to read a book for like 10 minutes (laughs) or like five to 10 pages. And uh, a pleasure practice for me is like reminding myself, like you're doing a good job and like you're doing your best and you don't need to shame yourself or judge yourself. You're doing a great job. And like really zooming out and reminding myself that I'm just a little ant in space on this floating rock. And I'm just trying to have a good day. Those are some mm-hmm. things that like, really I think about almost every day.
0: That's so beautiful. And that's so powerful. Like, I love self-affirmations. I am such a slut for affirmations. Like, that's my number one love language. And I feel like we can all, we can all truly use that as, you know, the foundation for not only how we see ourselves but how we see the world and how we interact with the world like how is it that the person listening to this podcast right now who is you know driving to work or doing chores in the house how is it that we can allow ourselves to hold space for the little that little tiny voice in the back of your head that tells you to judge yourself harshly when you walk across the mirror or when you when we have these little points of our days where we like get a glimpse of something that we're like oh man I really don't like this you know like you talked about shame and I know personally I experience shame when I'm going through like you know the other day I was trying to put on some clothes and I was like man none of these clothes that used to fit me last year fit me now and I was like fuck and I had them there for a while and I was like it's time to get rid of this shit so I threw them all out and I was like I'm not gonna sit here and be like I'm gonna get back to my pre-quarantine body and I was like that's not good for you. So I had to like sit there and challenge that little voice in the back of my head. And I was like, Hey, listen, Hey, listen, friend, I love you. You know, and I know that you're here for a reason, Yeah. but this is not, this is not going to be sustainable. We're not going to aspire to be an older version of ourselves. We're going to love ourselves and be okay with getting rid of this symbolic like past version of me. So I, I did a lot of purging, um, for lack of a better word actually i did a lot of just eliminating clothes in my closet Mm -hmm. that were no longer that no longer fit me Mm -hmm. and like along with that practice came this internal battle in my head with my conscious just like you really want to get rid of your favorite pair of jeans and i'm like yeah you bought these you can literally go to the thrift store find another pair and like distress the fuck out of them like you can be okay with making space for new And like, as I'm hearing you reflect about your, um, different pleasure practices, I'm like, ah, so that was like an unintentional pleasure practice. Like it felt good to eliminate things that made me wish I was at a different place because it just, this visual, like walking past this one thing just made me really sad. So like my question to you is for the person listening who struggles to change the dialogue inside, what are some powerful affirmations or like just key words that you can repeat to yourself
1: some things that have been really comforting for me are you're doing your best Sonali. that's the most you can do the most you can do is your best you deserve to have clothes that feel comfortable in your body you deserve to experience comfort Um, You deserve to wear warm socks when your toes are cold, even if it's warm out and your toes shouldn't be that cold. Also, like who the fuck cares what temperature your toes should be? Is that even a thing? Like, no, that's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like you deserve clean sheets. You deserve uh, freshly laundered pillowcases, where They're regularly replaced. (laughs) You deserve to live in a clean apartment that is only clean for you. It's not for any other guest who's coming to visit. Um, You, you're a good person. You actively try to build meaningful relationships with other people in your life. You actively make the world a better place just by being in it. You try your best to make people around you feel good You're really careful with your words. Um, You you take good care of people that you love. People that you love are really excited to take care of you. The love that is meant for you is going to find its way to you. Um, Ancestors are taking care of you. You have people looking out for
0: you. Um, the universe is sending good your way (sighs) my heart is so warm I'm just sitting here smiling (laughs) like yeah that's right I am a good person and genuinely as you know I know the mind for me I personally believe that the mind repeat the mind believes what it is told repeatedly so like repeating these things at first may feel like you're trying to force like you know water and oil to mix but over time what's going to happen is these these pathways in your brain are going to be formed like the things that you currently believe about yourself now you have spent your whole life repeating to yourself and the world has spent Mm -hmm. its whole life affirming them to you so it's Mm -hmm. like as you start to repeat these new affirmations and you start to change the narratives of what's happening inside your body Just make sure that you're also in company of people who also affirm you and (laughs) delete all the people on social media that don't make you feel good in your body. Like you don't want to, if you follow all workout pages and you wake up in the morning, the first thing you see is like, you know, wake up in the morning, burn fat, do this, do this, do this. It's like these things subconsciously, like your brain is absorbing them and there's like these underlying narratives that you might not know where your shame comes from but it's like if you're following this master dietitian who tells you like bad carbs good carbs whatever you know whatever marketing scheme that they're trying to sell you like your brain absorbs so much even if it's like in passing you know so just make sure that your environment is reflective and aligns with what you're trying to build up to what you're trying to the foundation that you're laying now it's like it's going to take time we have to unlearn take away brick by brick and like rebuild a whole new foundation and before i let you go sonali i would love for you to just share your workshops and the different types of resources and classes that you offer to people who want to build their house brick by brick
1: i am gonna do a lot better of a job advertising the workshops that I've got coming up um, because I'm I often will forget to post them on like my Instagram as they're happening but I actually have quite a few workshops lined up for this spring and um, some that I'm posting on my own so I'm often hired by universities so these are typically be like free events that are sponsored by someone that you can sign up for for free and some workshops I'm doing on my own are, can be found through my website, and that's RadicalTherapyCenter.com. Uh, on the events page, we've got two tickets right now um, that are offering actually pretty intensive workshops. So the series that my colleague and I are working on, her name is Dr. Bianca Loriano and she is a sexologist like me. We both are thinking about um, how to gear sexual attitude reassessments and center them specifically around fatness. So a sexual attitude reassessment is typically a workshop type of learning in space that involves an audience watching something that's sexually explicit and meant to bring up a lot of feelings within our bodies, and then processing those feelings in an educational space that is like safe, structured, um, and has things like writing uh, activities and processing activities built into the structure. So, my business partner or my colleague, Janka, and I, um, we have two workshops set up in the series. The first one is titled Sexing the Fat Body, and the second one is titled um, Seeing Fatness as Supernatural, and they both are intensives in that they are over the course of two days, so one of these will be on a Thursday and Friday split up into like four hours each day, four hours and four hours, like almost seven hours total of programming. And uh, so it's kind of pricey. It's like $300 for uh, one of these workshops, but we also offer scholarships. Um, So if someone would like to come and we prioritize uh, giving those scholarships to uh, marginalized folks, and we do have funding for that in case someone would want
0: access to a scholarship. Awesome. Thank you so, so, so much. Like, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and just being in your presence virtually. Like, oh. one day. And you are in Philly, so, like, I know that I'm going to make it out to Philly very soon. Like I said, I get my second vaccine today. Hopefully this fall, this summer is a bit, you know, more allow... You know, hopefully the summer and fall allows us to... You know, safely meet and be in community because I will drive to Philly, and you can take me to your favorite donut shops, and we can just sit there, and just sit in the sun, eat donuts, and just I live us live life.
1: A half dozen of plain glazed donuts from Donut Plus, and yes. we'll sit in the park and enjoy donuts outside in the Philly summer. And I can come down to Maryland, too. We can get crabs. I've never had Maryland crabs before. Oh, my goodness.
0: We found this amazing crab spot. I got you. You come You come down here to the D.C., Maryland area. I got you. Like, we're, like, a few hours away Done. from each other. So, like, this is it. You heard it here first on the Life with Magic podcast. This, this <laughs> Sonali and Magic uh foodie collaboration is going to come like this is this is it's going to a pleasure maybe next time we'll be recording while eating crawfish or something or shrimp ASMR <laughs> yes, right? that's what we're going to do life with magic, magic. life with magic life with magic thank you for listening to the life with magic podcast if you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Peace.